Welcome to Jim Lang's Retire Secure Podcast, where smart money talks. Throughout his career, Jim Lang has made it a priority to provide his clients, readers, and friends with useful, cutting-edge information, as well as peer-reviewed financial and tax planning strategies, so that they can make the most educated decisions and really get the most out of what they've got. We hope you enjoy the following special read broadcast from the Lang Vault. Please stay with us until the end so you don't miss more information on how we can help you protect your wealth and ensure your family's financial security for the next generation. And now, Jim Lang. If you take Social Security early and you die, you're dead. Dead people don't have financial problems. You should not worry about dying early You should be worried about what the real financial fear is, which is living a long time and not having the appropriate amount of money to spend. Of course, he's right. Think like an economist. Don't think like an actuary. So even if you don't, I mean, of course, none of us know how long we're going to live. But let's just say that you figure, and we'll get into the married part in a minute. But let's just say that, hey, you think you're going to live until your early 80s or even mid-80s, even if the actuarial numbers tend to indicate maybe age 82, if you want to use different assumptions, maybe it's age 84, whatever it is, he's, Larry's saying, and I believe he is right, don't think like an actuary, think like an economist. What you want to do is protect a comfortable living for the rest of your life. All right. So, um, by the way, I was just on the phone with Larry. Uh, he came out with a new book, which which is very good, by the way. Um, don't think like an actuary, think like an economist. All right, so now we get into spousal benefits. Spousal benefits are very, very important. So let's say that um, we have a traditional, and who, who knows what a traditional uh, household is anymore, but let's just say that you have one uh, person who, um, is the primary earner and one is the uh, secondary earner. And let's assume that the Social Security at full retirement age, which I don't want to get into all those details, but let's just say for discussion's sake, is it 66? Let's say that one's Social Security is $2,000 and the other one is $800. Well, the spousal benefit, if you both wait till age 66, is one half of the social security of the primary um, social security participant. So if one is $2,000 and the other is $800, if you apply for a spousal benefit, that $800 goes up to $1,000. So that can be very valuable, especially if you have one primary earner and one either secondary earner or somebody who does not have a great record of earnings for Social Security. And though they don't count, you know, raising kids or being a health care provider for family, et cetera, et cetera, whether they should or not, that's a different issue. But the spousal benefits um, are, are important. Um, now, let's say for discussion's sake that you are divorced, all right? And let's assume that your marriage lasted 10 years or more. The person receiving 
these, you can still, if, assuming that you don't remarry, and we'll get into, well, we won't get into that because that's more of a detail. The divorced spouse, if they were married 10 years and they don't remarry, they actually can collect a full spousal benefit even though they're divorced. So let's say for discussion's sake that we have um, Professor Rascal, all right? Professor Rascal, he got married at 20, <clears throat> 10 years later got divorced. Married somebody else at 30, 10 years later he got divorced. Married somebody else at 40, 10 years later got divorced. Then at 50, then at 60, then at 70. And none of these women, you know, ever got married again. They had had enough <laughs> of men with Professor Rascal. But Professor Rascal has a good earnings record for Social Security. Every single one of those divorced spouses can collect a full spousal benefit on Professor Rascal's uh, earnings. And Professor Rascal doesn't even, isn't even notified that they are doing it. So he can't stop them. He doesn't even know that that exists. Now, is this a great country or what? And in addition to the living spousal benefit, um, we can we should be talking about the survivor benefits. So let's say that uh, you have a certain earnings record, your spouse has a certain earnings record, um, and whether it's a spousal benefit or two independent benefits based on your own individual earnings record, and then one of you die, uh, subject to exception, the survivor can then take, they, they don't get two benefits, but they get the higher of the two. So again, let's say yours is $2,000, your spouse is $1,200. After the, after the first death, whether it's the husband or the wife, the survivor's benefit is $2,000. So let's go back to my example of, of life expectancy and spousal benefits. Let's assume that you are 66 years old and you just got bad news from the doctor. You have terminal uh, cancer. Uh, you might make it to age 70, uh, maybe not, and then you're going to die. Of course, they never tell you something that accurate, but or um, you know they don't tend to quantify. But let's just say that you have very good reason to believe that you're not going to live well into your 80s to reach the break-even point. And let's say that you are married and that your spouse doesn't have a strong earnings record. I would still be a very strong advocate in that situation that you hold off until you are 70 to collect your social security. And the reason for that is because I want your spouse to have the higher survivor benefit for the rest of his or her life. Um, so I used to do these social security uh, workshops and I was always pitching that the, uh, that the social security participant with the stronger earnings record always wait until age 70. And I always thought that, you know, I'm doing this, these workshops and the people that tended to come to these workshops are usually pretty bright cookies and they're somewhat quantitatively aware. And very frankly, the difference between uh, them maximizing their social security and not maximizing it was not really the difference between whether their uh, spouse was going to be broke or whether they aren't. I was thinking, really, this would be more applicable to the service providers, you know, the housekeepers, the people who were working at the hotel. 
because so many people, you have the, uh, <clears throat> and if we want to be you know, sexist about it, let's assume the man had the stronger earnings record. Uh, he couldn't wait until he was age 62, retired, uh, started taking Social Security at 62. Who dies first usually between us men and women? Well, it's usually the guy. And because he took Social Security early at 62, that will significantly impact how much money she ends up with the survivor benefit. And very frankly, there is a crisis in America between single or actually widowed, typically women, not always, um, that would have been in a much stronger position had their husband waited until at least 66 or preferably 70, even if they weren't in good health, even if they needed that money. So to me, it's really a family decision of when to take Social Security. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the, there's some other fancy strategies that I'm not going to get into, but the important thing is, and, and again, we have a whole book and it has a bunch of those strategies in it, and it is one of your bonuses, but um, the key is, is that we typically want the uh, person with the stronger earnings record for the purposes of Social Security to hold off until age 70. All right, why don't we take, do we have time for, let's see. Yeah, I think we have time for one or two social security questions um, if we have any in the queue or if anybody can be real quick with a social security or a social security and Roth question. Do we have any more questions, Erica? I have a one a quick social security question from Ching. Uh, Ching asked, which book about Social Security by Larry what did Jim mention? I think they're looking for a title. Um, I didn't I didn't mention it. It's called Get What's Yours. Um, I assume that you could get it on Amazon. Uh, I would get the obviously the most recent copy. Larry is a true expert in Social Security. Uh, you're going to get mine as a bonus. Um, I don't want to compare my book to Larry's who who has more expertise in social security, but let's just put it this way. I read his book cover to cover and did a lot of analysis before I did my book. So hopefully I'm covering the basis, but Larry's book is, a, is terrific. And I'm not gonna say one bad thing about it because there's nothing bad to say about it. I don't think his is completely up to date. Mine is more up to date. Um, now mine does talk about applying to spend, which you're not allowed to do anymore. Boy, that was great. Um, I, I want to talk about it. Some people, by the way, when I was doing my, my seminars for Social Security, I was, you know, I was proselytizing, use the uh, appliance suspend technique and do it before you lose it. So we had a lot of people do it that weren't aware of it. And they're tens or potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars better off. But now it's too late. Uh, to, to utilize that strategy because they changed the law. I can't remember which edition is Larry's uh, latest, but it's a terrific book and well worth your, uh, your time and money. Uh, it's called Get What's Yours. I would get the most, I'd go to Amazon or a local bookstore or maybe some other place if you don't want to support Jeff Bezos. Um, and get get the book because it is terrific. By the way, I think you might be able to get it 
on Larry's website directly. I know he hates, <laughs> I better watch out. I know he's not a huge fan of Amazon and he always tells people to buy it from the local bookstore or some other thing. Uh, and I, boy, I should know his website offhand. If you just Google Larry Kotlikoff, uh, I think that you can buy it directly from him. I'm not sure. He also has, by the way, some pretty, pretty good software. He's a very good guy. He was, was on my radio show a number of times. I genuinely like him. I was just on the phone with him actually last week talking about um, some issues. So anyway, I uh, hope that answers your question. Do we have any more, Erica, or should I move on? We do have one more a quick question, uh, but I also have been told to notify you that it is 2.30 and we are about less than halfway through the presentation, much less so. Um, VK asked, how long do you think social security will last? And I, I do believe your book actually has a chapter about the solvency, but I'll let you. Yeah, here, and, and, and by the way, this, this is an area where Larry Kotlikoff would be a better informed um, educator than I. So I will just, let's say, um, parrot what Larry Kotlikoff has said. He is not guaranteeing that the Social Security system will continue at its present level indefinitely for everybody. But what has happened historically is that they have made little tweaks that make a big difference. So, for example, they keep upping the full retirement age, which I believe right now for people born in 1954 um, is 66 and two thirds. Well, if they bump that up, which is part of the plan, by the way, to age 67 or then 68 down the road, what they're in effect doing is dramatically reducing the amount of money that they're going to have to pay out. And it's little tweaks like that that will keep the uh, system solvent. So the people who will probably not suffer are older people, probably most of the people in this audience, and the people that will have a tougher time um, getting as much money out are the younger people. So to think, and could it go broke completely? Well, usually the scare tactics never take into consideration the, the changes and the tweaks. Could it happen? I'm not gonna say it's impossible. What Larry will tell you is the value of holding off on social security so far outweighs the risk that it will become solvent that you're better off holding off. So again, he's, he's an economist. By the way, he actually ran for president because um, it was his premise that you need an economist as president. I'm not sure he's wrong. Um, but anyway, that, that is Larry's answer. I can't do better than Larry on that one. Okay? All right, so why don't we move on? Although I think I'm well beyond halfway. Um, I think we're not too, too far from the end and I, I'll still have time for some questions. But anyway, I want to talk for a minute about the synergy of holding off on Social Security and doing a series of Roth IRA conversions. So let's, let's assume that um, your uh, full retirement age, and by the way, the full retirement age 
is when you get an effect 100% of your benefit as, and then for every year that you wait, you get an extra 8%. If you take it early, you're in effect penalized. But the amount that you get at full retirement age, that is considered 100%, all right? And let's say that that's 66 or 66 and two thirds. So you are eligible for a full retirement benefit. Let's say that you're taking it. And let's say that you also want to do a, and let's just say the number for discussion's sake is uh, $35,000. And maybe not all of that is taxable, but let's say maybe 30,000 or some number is. Then if you're also doing a 30,000, if, if you also want to do Roth IRA conversions, that same year, your income because you took the Social Security is $30,000 higher. So if you want to do a Roth conversion and stay in the same tax bracket, you have to reduce your Roth conversion by $30,000. So you end up with a much lower Roth IRA conversion than if you don't have the $35,000 income from Social Security. So it's not just, okay, what should we do for Social Security? Okay, what should we do with Roth? It's really a synergy. Say, all right, if I delay my Social Security until I'm 70, that gives me some extra years where I'm not going to have the income from Social Security, where my income will be lower. I don't have my minimum required distribution. Let's say, presumably, you're retired by now, although not necessarily. You can do more Roth conversions at a lower tax bracket if you're holding off on Social Security. We've proved this mathematically again and again and again, which is why I like the synergy between holding off on Social Security, which is probably a good idea anyway, and doing a series of Roth conversions uh, before you hit minimum required distributions. So um, again, I could go on and on about that. Um, but that is, uh, I think, an important feature. And notwithstanding what the marketing department said, I still think we have some more time for questions. And because that is my favorite part, and we have some more time. Uh, and, and, and by the way, when I, when I kind of rehearsed this, I don't know why I was much slower. So I didn't, we're actually ahead of where I expected to be. And maybe that's because I'm pumped full of coffee and I'm... <laughs> I'm speaking quickly, but I think we do have some more time for some questions. So, Erica, do we have any more questions in the queue? We do. Um, we have a question from, uh, let's see, uh, from Tracy. And she said the 2022 Roth conversion rules are part of the current tax law debate in Congress. If it is, if it passes, what is the 2022? what will the 2022 Roth conversion rules be or will there be new rules for them? Well, boy, I don't even want to speculate because there's so many proposals out there. Um, who knows what's going to pass? Um, what I will say is that you should not not do a Roth conversion because you are afraid of future legislation. If anything, the fear of change in legislation, particularly tax rates, should encourage you to do Roth conversions. When they're talking about the mega Roths, the $10 million Roths, that's probably a whole other issue. But even then, 
it's still going to make sense to do the conversion, even if you end up falling into those, just because the tax-free growth on that is so substantial. We have done some huge, huge Roth conversions. We have done multi-million dollar Roth conversions because after running the numbers, that was the best thing for the family. Um, now, in one case, a gentleman wanted to do uh, a Roth conversion. We actually ran numbers, determined a multi-million dollar conversion made sense. Then they, um, they changed the law to increase the unified credit shelter amount, but because he had sufficient resources and he is, like many of our clients, not a great spender, what will happen with that Roth is the tax-free growth for his life and his spouse's life and for 10 years after um, more than justified uh, paying the taxes on the conversion, even if it wasn't for the original purpose, which was uh, to a large extent saving estate taxes. But who knows if the exclusion comes down, maybe we will get that also. So why don't we do one more before we do a summary and uh, an offer for consultation. Great. So uh, Zv asked, uh, it seems unlikely, but the U.S. may follow what other countries do and institute a consumption tax or a value-added tax, sometimes called a VAT tax, and decrease the income tax rates, maybe to exempt many more people from income tax, then Roth conversions now might be a bad idea. Higher income tax now, lower income tax, and relatively high consumption tax later. If the value-added tax is passed, would Roth conversion now be counterproductive? Well, what I would say, and again, you know, most people to try to predict the future on things like this are usually wrong, but notwithstanding, this is, this is what I would say. Um, our country clearly needs money uh, from somewhere. And tax increases are one very good way of doing it. Right now, uh, what a lot of states have, including states don't have any income taxes, uh, such as Texas and Florida, they do have a consumption or uh, a sales tax. Or you might be in a state like Pennsylvania that has both a sales tax and an income tax. What I think is, is there a chance the United States will start some kind of consumption or sales tax? I would say yes. Will that be in place of the existing income tax? I don't think so. So I forget how many trillions of dollars are already in the IRA retirement plan 401k 403b system. And everybody has expected to pay income taxes on that money all along. Can I picture the United States saying, okay, we decided we're gonna to go to a consumption tax and all you guys with all your huge IRAs, with all the money that you expected to pay or sh should have expected to pay in taxes, and particularly after the SECURE Act, which frankly was a way of harvesting some of that money sooner rather than later, I don't see that happening. Is there a chance I'm wrong? Is there a chance that that, that will end up hurting you? Yeah, there's a chance, but I actually think the odds of a tax increase we're doing Roth IRA conversions now when we're at basically historically low tax rates is going to be the much better solution. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. If you've discovered the answers to your questions and would like to schedule an appointment with Jim, please call our offices 
at 1-800-387-1129. That number again is 1-800-387-1129. Or if you would like to attend one of Jim's upcoming webinars, go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That address again is paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That's 2020 webinars.